Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 3 again in our Bibles and really looking at a second part of the chapter in this sermon that we looked at last week. I titled it True Repentance last Sunday. This Sunday, uh, today, I'm, I'm titling it Baptism of the Heart. Baptism of the Heart, which coincides with true repentance that we saw last week. And so we're going to cover verses 7 to 17, and this is sermon number 4 in our series titled Jesus Worldview. We get to look through Jesus' eyes and how he truly calls the church to live in this world, what it looks like, what it feels like, and really how it transforms everything around us. Really, he has given us instruction about everything in life, really regarding life and godliness. And uh, the Bible is not an encyclopedia. It does not give topics from A to Z, everything in between. No, it gives us what we need. And so uh, all things according to life and godliness, instruction given from God. And so we're thankful for it. We're looking through Jesus' eyes, Jesus' gospel, really the gospel writer Matthew, and how he, he experienced his time with the Lord Jesus. If you forgot what happened last week, a little recap for you. We had John the Baptist come on the scene, a prophet, a really rugged type. He's cut from the same cloth as the Old Testament prophets. He wore the camel skin, camel fur, uh, a giant coat of camel fur. I mean, this is crazy with a giant leather belt that went around. And he would take catch locusts and dip them in wild honey, which he probably harvested from wild bees. And this is where he lived in the wilderness. And he would stand there at the Jordan River in the wilderness of Israel and cry out to those coming by to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near and get in the water as a sign of repentance and be baptized, wash their sins away, which the Jewish person was very familiar with. And today we see John uh, doing his baptism, calling people to repentance and guess who comes on the scene? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders. And yep, a little fight goes down. And we get to see a little ruckus. Uh, everybody in school ran to go see the fight, huh? They ran to go see what was going on. The same is happening here. Everybody souls and gathers around and watches John call out the Pharisees and Sadducees. I believe a true word for us today. We need baptism of the heart. I am telling you. No matter how many laws we put in place, are laws good? Yes, they're helpful. No matter how many policies we change, if we don't have a baptism of the heart, if we don't have a change from the heart internally, we will not have a change of our society outwardly. But set up as many laws as you want, and they still keep doing these things secretly. But watch this. Set up as many laws that you want that allow for sin to prosper. But change the heart of people in this land. And guess what will happen? They will not follow immorality. They will not follow the laws of the land of immorality. They will do the opposite and follow the laws of God, regardless of bad policy, regardless of bad morality in our culture. We need heart change. And that is the key. And that's what I want you to focus on long term. No matter what people stand in what categories, what places, I want you to try to focus on the heart. And many times, yes, we will know them by their outward fruits, but we know that people can fool us as well. And we need to pray that God would reveal the heart of people and that we would see their true colors and we would understand, be able to discern between right and wrong and hopefully lead those to the Lord Jesus Christ whose hearts are not made of flesh, who still are hearts of stone. We are in Matthew chapter 3 today in our Bibles. We're going to read verses 7 to 17, and uh, we will cover these verses together. We always stand for the reading of God's Word to pay honor to Him and to remember whose Word we are reading. Um, these are not my words. They are the words of God written down for us. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 7, it says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees, John the Baptist, and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, 
You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered and said, Let it be now so now. Thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for this baptism. We thank you for what you have done for us. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at this story, our hearts would be baptized in you. You would burn away all the sin. You would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Create in me a new heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. I pray over our church. Please, Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal truth to us now. As we study your word, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. John the Baptist has been preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And guess who walks up in the middle of all of it? Yes, the religious leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees. It says, verse 7, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them this. Who does this? He picks a fight. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? This is the first thing he says to them. Not, hi, how you doing? Thanks for showing up for the baptism. He just yells out to them. You brood of vipers. They didn't even have to say anything. When John saw them, he yells at them in the middle of the baptism. He says, you brood of vipers, or you den of poisonous snakes. You sneaky, destructive, hollow hypocrites. You come only to deceive and lead people away from God. That's what he's saying. You guys are the fakes. You guys are the counterfeits. You guys are the worst of the worst. You want to know why? You deceive people. You walk around in your holy garbs. You use all this holy language. You do all this stuff, but on the inside, you're dead. You're actually sneaky snakes trying to poison God's people. And then he says, hasn't anyone told you to flee from the wrath that's about to come upon you? You better get away because it's after you. It's going to crush you. The wrath of God is going to come upon you, he says to these guys. These religious leaders were probably extra offended. You want to know why? Because they believe that the wrath of God was only reserved for non-Jews. There is no way it could come upon them. So they're sitting there thinking, what? Yeah, maybe Gentiles, John, but you're telling us the wrath of God is going to come upon us? How dare you? You see, the Pharisees of that day had a following of about 6,000. And they were the ultra-legalists. They kept hundreds of little man-made rules to make themselves feel holy. We do this, and we do this, and we do this, and we do that. Can you show me where that is in the Bible? Oh, it's not in the Bible. We made up all these extra things. A hundred extra laws to abide by to keep you from sin. And if you really keep these ones too, then you're extra holy. Really? God doesn't say you have to keep those to be extra holy. I know, but we made them up and we think they're a good idea. And we are kind of the religious leaders of the land, so we're going to enforce them on you all. And if you don't obey them like us, we're going to condemn you and make you pay more money and make you do more sacrifices and make you feel completely unworthy of God. 
These guys were wicked. The Sadducees, they were actually the opposite of the Pharisees. They were only dedicated to the Torah and they rejected rituals made up by man. They rejected also the supernatural, specifically the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Thank you. Thank you. Sadducees, come on, come on. Dad jokes. But they were wealthy. They were smaller in number and they loved working their way into politics to gain power. So the Pharisees, ultra legalistic. The Sadducees, more holy garbs, rub shoulders with politicians, wealthy. And we're like, we're only about the Torah and we're very reasonable. We don't believe in the supernatural. John the Baptist in his camel hair suit tells all of them, you guys get ready for the wrath of God that's about to crush you. Talk about picking a fight, but John can back up his words. He digs in even more. Look at what he says. Verse 8, he says to them, bear fruit keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to even from these stones raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And John is looking at them saying, you know who those trees are? Wink, wink, nod, nod. You know who's going to be cut down and thrown into the fire if you don't repent? It's you. He was not worried about offending anybody. He went after it. John says the key to getting away from the wrath of God is to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Keeping in repentance. He is saying this to the religious. Let's talk about it. Point number one, if you're taking notes, keep yourself in repentance. Please, keep yourself in repentance. Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. You are responsible for your life. You're not going to be able to blame God for your lack of repentance. God is responsible for your salvation. Yes, he keeps you in salvation. Yes, he saves you all the way to the end. But if you're living in sin, I guarantee you will never be able to look at God and say, but God, you did this. You let me be tempted. Lord, you are the one who caused me to sin. Oh no, God cannot sin, the Bible says. And you are the one fully responsible for your sin. And you are responsible for keeping yourself in repentance. Work out your salvation, please, with fear and trembling. The Bible declares that God is sovereign, but then declares man is fully responsible for sin. How do they work together? We don't know. It's a mystery how they perfectly come together in the puzzle pieces. But it is fully declared in the Bible. Keep yourself in repentance. John tells them, Pharisees, Sadducees, don't presume, do not presume that because Abraham is your father or because you have Jewish blood, you're now going to heaven. Nope. That's not how Abraham got to heaven. And that's not how people get to heaven now. They do so by repenting to God, placing their full faith in his words, what he has said. Repenting, turning away from believing other ways and now believing this way. That is what it means to repent. How did Abraham do this? How was he counted righteous? Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 says, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. That's Old Testament. That's Genesis. He was counted as righteous because of his faith. Believing what God has said and choosing to walk in what God has said. God told Abraham, leave your land, not knowing where you're going. Follow me with all of your life and I will, I will expand your territory. I will multiply your descendants like the stars in the sky. Do you believe me, Abraham? And Abraham says, by faith, faith, believe. I fully believe you so much so. I am not going to stay in my hometown. I am leaving and I am going to follow you with all of my life. That's repentance. He turned away from his life that he was going and he turned to now God's life, God's way, what God wanted. He believed God at his word and God says, I grant you righteousness for doing so. People sometimes think that the faith of their parents can save them. It cannot. 
or the faith of their church can save them. It cannot. They have to have their own salvific faith given by God. You better cry out to God to save you because I can't, your family can't, your friends can't. No one can save you but God. So you better go to the Savior. You better cry out to Him. The Bible will tell you, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. These Pharisees thought that their man-made rules would get them to heaven. If you ask them if they were going to heaven when they die, you know what they would say? Well, yes, of course. We are Jews. Abraham is our father and we are good people. We keep all the rules and all the laws. The only problem is good people don't get to heaven. Only perfect people do. Oh, are you going to heaven when you die? Yeah, I'm a good person. No, no. Are you a perfect person? Well, no one's perfect. Exactly. No one is perfect but Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life to give it to you. We're going to talk about that later. Very, very important part. It shows that salvation is not dependent on you or your works or what you have done. It is fully dependent on someone outside of yourself who you have to call upon to be saved. You have to call upon the perfect one to save you and to grant you perfection, righteousness. And if you believe on him and what he has done for you, that is how you are saved, by simply believing. The problem was these Pharisees and Sadducees, they kept rules outwardly. They kind of looked holy, but their hearts were never changed. They had an appearance of holiness, but they were fakes. Listen to what Jesus said to them in Matthew 15, verse 8. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. What Jesus and John the Baptist are saying is there must be true repentance and it comes through true heart change that bears fruit in your life and keeping in repentance. Here's the danger. When I was looking at this and reading this verse, it reminded me there that they can, there are people who can honor God with their lips and their hearts can actually be far from God. That is full deception and that is a full lie. That is scary, scary stuff. It causes each of us to examine ourselves closely to see, Lord, please, please do not allow me to live a life not repented to you. There's no way I'm going to fake this thing. I want genuine relationship with you. Being truly saved is not making a decision to follow Jesus today. Then tomorrow, don't follow him. We don't decide, I want heaven, I'm going to live for God today, then live like hell for the next three years. I'm sorry, you were never saved. I don't care if you went to a Billy Graham crusade. I don't care if you went for it at your church. I don't care if you were prayed for by somebody. I don't care if you heard a sermon and you made a decision. It doesn't matter if it is not a genuine decision, if it is not genuine faith and believing on God, and there is not genuine transformation, that was not a moment of salvation. We need to be careful of this because we tell people to do things. Stand on your head, spin three times, and abracadabra, you're saved. Hold on. You're saved if you bear fruit of repentance long term. Abraham said, God, I believe you. And then he left his land. He didn't say, God, I believe you. You are the Lord. I'm coming forward to receive you as Lord and Savior. Then the next day, he goes right back to doing what he was doing. And he doesn't obey God. He doesn't leave his land not knowing where he's going. He doesn't go and believe that God is going to to multiply his descendants. He doesn't leave like God asked him to. Then he did not fully believe God at his word. And we have Christians doing this all the time. It is almost like a false repentance or a false declaration that they are saved. These Pharisees are falsely declaring they are saved. They have the outward showing, but they do not live in repentance to God. You see, there is no true salvation if we go on living like hell. How can we say we're going to heaven if we live like hell? There is no real fruit. 
And a lot think somehow that that's how it works, that they can do a single act of repentance and live a life not repented to God. That's not a Christian. A Christian is someone who repents from the world and sinful lifestyle and turns to follow Jesus the rest of their life. It doesn't mean they won't struggle, though. But it does mean they are resolved to follow Jesus in obedience forever. This is true faith. This is true obedience. You can't go to a Christian concert and raise up your hand and enjoy an experience and then go on living away from God the rest of your life. But there was this one time when I was young, I went to this, you know, big concert and, you know, I felt this moment with God and then um, I went on living in sin the rest of my life. That moment back there means nothing. Judas had moments like that all over the place, but he never produced true repentance Instead, his colors showed long-term that he would not repent and turn his life over to Christ. They thought he was saved. The disciples all thought he was saved. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they all said, what? Is it me? What? They didn't say, it's the guy over there with the dark circles around his eyes and the black coat over his head. That's the guy, Judas. That's not how he was depicted. They all thought he was saved. Jesus knew that he wasn't. God looks at the heart. You can fool people. You can fool me. You can't fool God. Playing Christianity and playing religion and and outwardly trying to act like we're Christians means nothing. These Pharisees are getting rebuked for it. This is not a game to be played. It is not enough to look saved on the outside but hate God on the inside or hate people or commit adultery with no sorrow or regret. There must be guilt and conviction and a desire to stop, repent, and get away from these sinful desires. If there is no conviction to stop you from sinning before God inwardly, you have to question whether or not you have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have to. You have no guilt, no shame inside for what you're doing. You have to ask, does God even dwell in me? Surely I should feel guilty. It is clear people can do this, be fake And righteous on the outside, but inwardly don't even know God. They're just playing a game. And they are trying to look holy to others for gain or for whatever reason. Listen, God is more impressed with an honest sinner than a self-righteous lying hypocrite. Let me say it again. God is more impressed with an honest sinner than a self-righteous lying hypocrite. The father in the prodigal son story was more impressed with his broken sinful, worldly son who came crawling back in, begging his dad to take him in. I've sinned, Father. I've done wrong against you. Then for the self-righteous brother sitting at home thinking that he has everything together and everything's perfect and condemns his brother who comes home in repentance. He can't even see the fruit of repentance because his heart is so far from God. Luke 18, 9, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Jesus told this story to them. He said, Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Verse 13, Jesus says, But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner, for I am a sinner. Jesus says, verse 14, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It is true, God is more impressed with an honest sinner than a self-righteous lying hypocrite. Man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. So what does keeping yourself in repentance look like? Family, it's simple. Are you ready? Love God each day in prayer, worship, and obedience. Wash yourself in His Word day and night. Walk with your God, the first and greatest command. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. All of your being, love Him. 
genuinely love him, not fake. Love him. And second, love God as God's love fills you, love people around you. Minister God's good news to them and they can be forgiven and have a relationship with their maker. That is how we love people. That is our evangelism. We get filled up with the love of God as we love Him. And then we go on loving the people around us so much that we get to tell them about the great love of God, that He wants to have a relationship with them. What attributes of fruit should you see in your own life to show that you are repented in your heart? What fruit should we see on the outside? Here it is, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the Holy Spirit It's called, the Bible refers to it as fruit. Jesus refers to it as fruit, like hanging on a tree. Why? Because when you look at a tree, you can tell what kind of tree it is very quickly. You know that's an orange tree. Why? Well, when we looked at the leaves closely, we could see the way that it was. No, there's oranges on it. Um, How do you know it's an apple tree? Well, if you look at the bark and the way that it comes to, no, there's red apples on it. You will know them by their fruit. It is so absolutely obvious. You know a person by their fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence the Holy Spirit of God is residing within you. What is it? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit inside of you is love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Um, The Apostle Paul said all these beautiful, very flowery things that we love, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then he says, but we um, basically mutilated our own bodies, the flesh, the old sinful nature. We took the fleshly sinful side of us, all of these wicked sinful things, and we literally crucified that person. We crucified that old man who wanted to do nothing but wickedness. We nailed his hands and feet to the cross. We beat him bloody with a cat of nine tails. We ripped the the skin off of his bones and exposed the back. We caused blood to go everywhere. We spit on and we put the crown of thorns on. We absolutely mutilated the old sinful nature and ways. And we now put on a new person by the power of the Holy Spirit filling us. We put to death all of that. And we now walk in this newness of life. Is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is this fruit on your tree? Everybody can see it. If it is, it's got to be there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. If you're lacking in any of these areas, pray to God to grow these fruits in your heart and life. Not just exterior Lord, grow these in my heart. I want this to be real. I don't want one good deed to declare to people so they think that I'm joyful. I want real joy. I want real love. I want really to be gentle. I want really to be kind. I genuinely want to be faithfulness. God, stir this in me. Build this in me. The beautiful thing about these fruits is you can't fake them. You can't fake them. People know love. They know if you love them or not. People know joy. They see people faking happiness all the time. But human beings can tell that person is genuinely joyful. There's something going on in there. You can fool people exteriorly that you don't know very well. But people who know you know where you and what is really going on inside. People can tell if you're really patient. People can really tell if you're, if you're kind. People can't remain faithful and self-controlled to God for a long time apart from Him. Not going to happen. You can't fake it for 10 years. You can't. It will be exposed. 
and God will bring you low. What is the bad fruit that shows you are not following Christ and do not have the Holy Spirit living within you to lead you? It is when you have no conviction over these things. Again, the sad thing is, here's, here's what's sad to me. I mean, it's good though too. Sadly, when I read off of these fleshly works, those who are most mature and righteous in the church literally think they're doing all of them and feel crushed over them and are trying to repent and get away from them. Those who are self-righteous and those who are secretly deceiving themselves and living in sin may not feel the slightest bit of guilt over the one that I list that they are doing. They feel nothing over it. And sadly, that's how it is most of the time. Those who are actually most holy before God feel the greatest shame and guilt upon them. The Apostle Paul, in the end of his letter writing, would write to the church, when he's an older man, he would say, I am the chief of all sinners. I am the worst of them all. I cannot even believe God would accept me. He's not saying, yeah, I've been walking with God for 40 years, and man, I'm squeaky clean. Look at me, I'm so great. The closer he gets to God, the more he sees his sin. What is the difference between the fake and the real? It is conviction. And as we hear the reading, as it convicts and washes over us, and buries us in guilt, and forces us to call upon the Savior again, Lord, keep me close to you, save me from these things, Those desires are what are proof of real, genuine repentance and the Holy Spirit. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they don't give a rip. They don't even flinch at what John is saying. Everybody else in the crowd, oh my gosh, get in the water. They want to be baptized twice. They're ready for repentance. Galatians 5.16. Notice it's the same exact chapter as the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. This is Galatians 5.19. Just a few verses back. Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident. The works of sin are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And things like these, Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't get in, those who practice such things. This is so dangerous and so scary. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. You bear fruit of keeping in repentance. You are responsible to do so. All I can do is preach to you. You have to make the steps and call upon the Savior. The person who lives in any of these lifestyles without any conviction is probably not saved. I'm telling you the absolute truth. You will stand before God one day and he will not welcome you into the kingdom. He will cut down that tree and throw it into the fire of unquenchable flames as is said in the text. Not my words. Jesus says it himself. Yes, there are men and women in the Bible who committed great sins, yet were still saved. But the difference is they could not continue in that sin. They were crushed over it. They repented and they turned to God the rest of their life. The true believer family will stumble at times, but we will never stop pursuing the Lord. But the true believer will never fall away from the Lord and stop following him. Nope. His sheep know his voice. And even if they wander, they will come home. They will get back to the flock of God. Have I seen people backslide? Yeah. For long periods of time, I have. But they always make it back home. They repent. They see their sin. They see that they are running from God, even in their backslidden state. And they're wandering. And they say, forget this. I'm getting back with the Lord. And many times they never turn away from the Lord ever again because that was enough. But sadly, those who turn away from the Lord and never turn back were probably never saved in the first place. A.W. Tozer says this, Repentance is primarily a change of moral purpose 
a sudden and violent reversal of the soul's direction. I remember when this happened to me. Again, I think I'm 16 or 17 years old, and I walked into a church. Again, I had been raised in a church. I walked into a church I'd never been in before. And I remember um, this missionary had come in to visit, and he was telling his story about how he and the people of his nation from Sri Lanka were living in a Muslim land, in a Buddhist land, where they killed Christians, and they would imprison them, and they would torture people for being Christian. And he and his family were trying to build the church there. And I thought, these guys are nuts. If I were you, I would never go back to Sri Lanka. You just made it to America, man. Why are you going to go back? And he was going back. He talked about, I can still remember, this is 20 years ago, I can remember him telling the story of his grandmother being tied to a pole and being beaten because she was a Christian. Tied to a pole and beaten because an old woman. And I thought to myself, I cannot believe the faith that this guy has. I want that. I need to figure out and discover what this is. And I remember him saying after the service, if you want to come down here and be prayed for that God would basically save you or stir something in you or his pour his grace upon you. I don't even know what he said, but I just remember I went forward after the service was over and just said, hey, would you pray for me? He prayed for me. And I don't know, something happened to me that night. I woke up the next day and there was fire in my bones. I immediately grabbed my Bible and started reading through it. I couldn't stop reading it. I would take my Bible to high school every single day. There was transformation. I was trying to live a holy life. I was sloppy around the edges. You better believe it. God had to send many prophets into my life to rub off so many rough edges on me, all the terrible things that I have been a part of and done. But by the grace of God, I'm still here today. Thank you, Lord. And he's still working in me. He's still, by the power of his Holy Spirit, convicting, which I'm so thankful for. But it was a violent reversal of the soul. And that is exactly what happens when true conversion happens. There is subtle change over time, but something definitely happens at some moment in your life where the lights turn on. And you say, you know what? I was running away from God. I want to walk with him now. You have a desire to pursue God with all of your life. Where does it come from? Where does it magically just show up? You have this desire and pull to go the opposite direction of all society. Maybe you're asking today, Pastor, how do I get away from sin? As a Christian, I'm trying to get away from sin. I have desires to do what is right. How do I do this? It's easy. No, it's very difficult, but it's simple, okay? Galatians 5.16. So I say, Paul says, again, Galatians chapter 5, again, the same chapter. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The way that you get away from sin is not focusing on sin all day, every day. Oh no, I got, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Okay, stay away from that sin. Oh, there's sinner cooties everywhere around me. Oh no, there's sinners everywhere. Ah, you just fall into sin. That's not how you get away from sin, by focusing on getting away from it. That's not how. You just focus on doing what is right. You just focus on walking with God. It is focused on loving Him and loving people. Be full of the Spirit. Be full of the things of God. Reading your word and prayer. Doing what is right. Just walking with Him. And naturally, all of these sinful desires will start to go away. So I say, let's let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. John rebukes the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, you being in Abraham's bloodline is not enough. He says, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He goes back at them. He says, look, I know you guys think because you have Jewish blood or because Abraham is in your bloodline, you're going to heaven. But God can raise up people from Abraham through these rocks. That's actually what he did. He just magically called a guy out of a nation. Abraham, you're my guy. And I'm going to produce a nation out of you. And I'm going to produce a legacy of believers out of you as well. And a Messiah will come forth through you. And so he tells them a warning. Verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the roots of the tree. Picture this. The axe is laid. The axe, the sharp blade of the axe is laid at the roots of the tree. It's just sitting there. 
And who's going to pick it up? The Lord Jesus is going to pick it up and chop down those trees. And it says, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The blade is resting on the tree. He is warning them, Don't you guys realize how close the judgment is? Get right with God. Family, if your life is not bearing good fruit, real fruit from your heart to God for His glory, real desires to love God and love people, you are in danger of hell. John the Baptist would tell you, repent now, for the King is near. He is on His way. The Lord Jesus will return soon and set everything right on the earth. And if you are not covered with His forgiveness and His blood, you will not be saved. You will not be spared. Christ will bring wrath upon all of his enemies. It is the real news of what is going to happen. You think this pandemic is hard? You think that these things that are happening? It is nothing compared to God's wrath. Jesus must be Lord of all in your life or he is not Lord at all in your life. He's got to be Lord of everything or he's not actually Lord. Romans 14.10 says, So why do you condemn your believing brother? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before God's seat of judgment. For the scripture says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Or the New King James, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Romans 14, 12. So let's stop condemning each other, Paul says. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. You bow now in repentance, making him Lord and Savior, or you will bow in fear one day. That is scary. John was calling these religious leaders to repentance They must have thought he was crazy. Who is this psycho out here in the wilderness trying to tell us religious leaders what to do? John was right. Sadly, we don't see any of them getting in to be baptized. We don't see any of them getting in the water and confessing sin to be baptized, sadly. But everybody else around them, all those who were probably already saved were like, let me get in the water. I want a third baptism. Please dunk me again, John. So is the church. Look at verse 11. I baptize you with water, he says, for repentance. But John says, He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John takes it a step further and declares Jesus is about to come on the scene and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Something I never saw before. Bible students, Jesus is the one, John says, who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus himself baptizes you. To have that image of the Lord Jesus himself baptizing me with the Holy Spirit and with fire is mind-blown. John clarifies that though he is the greatest prophet, a title given to him by Jesus, he is not even worthy to carry the sandals of the Lord Jesus. He is not even worthy to touch the shoestrings to tie his shoe. John lowers himself to the smallest, lower than an ant. He gets down as far as he can. And this is why he was the greatest of all prophets. He lowers himself, gets out of the way, and points to Jesus. He doesn't want any credit. He doesn't want any royalties. He doesn't need to be on stage. He doesn't need recognition. He just wants to make sure Jesus is fully known and eclipses his entire existence as a prophet. He says, just let me get out of the way completely. Please, all of you people, just forget about me and make sure you focus on him because I can't save you, but he can. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, there he is, not me. Get out of here. Get away from me. Get over there following him. It's like John the Baptist gathered a giant church 
And then when Jesus showed up, he's like, here you go. Just everybody follow him. Okay, I'm out. I'll see you guys later. I'm going to prison. I'm going to be beheaded. You're never going to see me again, but he is the one. That's why Jesus said he was the greatest. John the Baptist said in John 3.28, You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, John says, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. John's joy was to exalt the Lord Jesus, to lower himself to a place as to not take one pinch of glory from the Lord. He wanted Jesus alone to shine. That was his mission. And that is why he is the greatest of all the prophets. There's very little spoken about John the, prof- uh, John the Baptist, the prophet. There are books written about prophets of the Old Testament, yet he is considered the greatest. Why? Maybe that's why, because there's nothing to write about him, except that he pointed to Jesus. That's beautiful. It's absolutely brilliant. I love it. John explains, though he baptizes with water, the Lord Jesus will baptize with fire. What does this mean? Baptism of fire? Point number two, if you're taking notes, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about it. Acts 2.38, Peter, the apostle Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here it is. At the moment of true repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, we are baptized by the Lord Jesus with fire, in fire with the Holy Spirit. Why fire? If water baptism is a picture of being cleansed of sin outwardly, baptizing of the water, a cleansing, baptism of fire is a picture of the sinful heart, which has made us slaves to sin, being burnt up and the Holy Spirit of God residing in its place, making us slaves now to righteousness and empowering us to walk with God, bearing good fruit of repentance. When we are baptized by fire, By the Lord Jesus, it is burning away the heart of flesh. Now, I should actually say the heart of stone. But when I say heart of flesh, I mean the fleshful, sinful desires. But when I say heart of stone, it's an Old Testament reference that we have hearts of stone and we need to be given a heart of flesh that beats and breathes and longs for God. But this fleshly heart or this sinful heart being burnt up is the slave to sin, the slave to the world, the heart which is deceitfully wicked, who can know it? This is being burnt up by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes and resides in that place, and we are now slaves to righteousness. Baptism with water, baptism with fire. It is a baptism of the heart. Acts 1.8 speaks about it as well, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So the power of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit will come upon believers to be witnesses to the rest of the world of the truth about Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 verse 4 says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of law, all who is over all and through all and in all. One baptism. That being the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we come to faith in Jesus, it supernaturally happens. And this is the result. You see it in true believers' lives. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come forth. A brand new person. Because why? The sinful heart has been burned up and a new heart has been given to us filled with the Holy Spirit. And now we beat for God instead of the ways of the world. 
Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says, We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Jesus was baptized into the ground and raised from the dead, a picture of resurrection. Also, we are baptized, again, into his death and back into his resurrection. Another picture of the baptism of fire, burning away death and sin and bringing us into the new life. All of these pictures are beautiful in different ways to help us understand the new spirit that God has given to each of us, which is the Holy Spirit of God, no longer possessed by the world and by sin, but possessed by Almighty God. Ephesians 4.21, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attributes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Put off the old self, put on the new self, repentance. Faith in Christ, that transitional moment when you are baptized with fire. Baptized, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we come to Jesus, we make him Lord, believing on him for salvation, repenting away from our old sinful life. We are baptized with fire and the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life new for God's glory. Romans 8 verse 11 says, The Spirit of God... Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Amen. He comes to give us life in that abundantly. And that comes the moment we believe on Christ for forgiveness of sins. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Our story fast forwards to Jesus coming on the scene now, where John has been baptizing and preaching. It's a very, it's a quick fast forward. It's a quick change in our scene. That's why you even fill it in the the preaching in the sermon. Uh, it just all of a sudden fast forwards. All this stuff happened with John and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. John clarifies. He points to Jesus. He says, "I'm not even worthy to tie this guy's shoes." Uh, But he is on his way. He's coming. And I'm telling you, he's going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. Then boom, it stops the scene. And it just fast forwards to the moment that Jesus actually finds John the Baptist in the wilderness. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming down to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in who I am well pleased. That is where our text closes today. I want to close with one point here from the text. Jesus shows up and John would have stopped the Lord from being baptized. But Jesus says, no, you must baptize me. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. John's like, me baptize you? What? What is Jesus saying? This is crazy. John has baptized all these people for the Messiah, for Jesus, for the glory of God. And then the very Messiah he has been preaching about and baptizing for shows up to be baptized. And John's like, um, I'm not baptizing you. You should baptize me, please. I don't want to do this. This is like, there's something unholy about this. I still have sin in my bones. You're the sinless son of God. I'm not baptizing you. Jesus says, no, you will baptize me. Kind of like Peter, you know. Lord, you can't wash my feet. He's like, I have to wash your feet. You have no part in my kingdom. He's like, okay, give me a bath. Let's go. I'm ready. 
John says, okay, if you're, tell- if you're commanding me to baptize you, Lord, you got it. You, whatever. How many seconds do you want to go under? What, what do you want to do? Everybody out of the water. Do you want us to clean the water first? Like, what, what would you like? However you want it, we'll do it. Jesus says, you will baptize me, John. And here's why. Because it will fulfill all righteousness. What does this mean? Jesus was getting baptized to do every good righteous deed and act, proving he lived a perfect life. He was getting baptized to fulfill the perfect life. He was doing every good, he did good deeds all of his life, and one of them was going to be baptism. But why did he live a perfect life? Why did he need perfect righteousness? It was so that he could give it to us one day and grant us a ticket to heaven. Only perfect people get to heaven and Jesus lived a perfect life so he could give it to us so that we can get to heaven. We not only need a perfect hand of cards of righteousness to get to heaven, a perfect ticket a perfect life, we need all of our sin paid for and forgiven as well. We need a perfect life and we need all of this debt paid for. Jesus did that as well on the cross. He made payment for our sins on the cross. He paid a debt he did not owe. He paid for our debt. His torture and death on the cross granted us life and freedom from wrath. And forgiveness from God. And so, when we are baptized, we are baptized into the holiness of Jesus Christ. We are baptized into his perfection. We are baptized into his righteousness. We are having our debt paid for and forgiven. And we are being given a free ticket to heaven. Given righteousness. Given perfection. Given resurrection. We get a blessing in baptism. But when Jesus was being baptized, he was being baptized into wrath. It was the first drink of the wrath of God for us. Listen, Jesus didn't need to be baptized for his sins because he never sinned. He was being baptized for our sins. Baptized into the punishment of God so we could go free. Point number three, and finally, baptism of wrath. He was baptized in wrath so you could be baptized in holiness. He was baptized into death so that you could be baptized into life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He was taking a step of righteousness, fulfilling the whole righteous law, just so he could give it to you. And in that moment, I can't imagine, because John even says it, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Then he steps in to be baptized. He's not being baptized for his own sin. He's being baptized to take away the sins of the world, to give righteousness and to pay a debt. It's an amazing, amazing picture. Galatians 3.13 says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took up upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Listen, Jesus was treated as if he had committed all of your sins. So you could be treated like you lived his perfect life. The great switcheroo, the great exchange, substitutionary atonement is the doctrinal term. He substituted himself for you so that you could get all of the blessings and promises that he earned from God. He gave it to you and he took all of your death, all of your punishment, all of your debt, all of your sins so that you could go free. No one does this for anyone. No one gives up everything so that someone else can have everything. No one does this. Jesus did it for you. He's spoken about by the prophet Isaiah. 
chapter 53, verse 4, Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. Not his, for ours. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us. What we have done, our turning away from God, God says, I punish him for all of their turning away. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, verse 7, yet he would open not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shears in silence. He opened not his mouth. He suffered for us. And out of that anguish, verse 11, it says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. You know why we will praise God and glorify Jesus forever and ever and ever in eternity? Because every time we look upon him, we will see the only reason I'm here is because that guy took my sins. He was crushed for my iniquity. He took on God's wrath for me. He was being baptized into wrath. He was stepping on the road to death for us. He didn't need to get baptized. He's being baptized so he could bless you. It is absolutely mind-blowing and amazing, the depths of the love of God for his people. Listen to this verse again as we close with all of that in mind. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven shouts, This is my beloved Son, right here, in whom I am well pleased. Why is he well pleased? Because of the extent that he went to love people and save them from their sins. I am well pleased. Family, you need the baptism of your heart. Washed, clean, made new. Not fake, outward Christianity, but real, genuine repentance. Look at all that Jesus did for you so that you could come close to Him. We have a great God. We have a great King. We have a great Savior. As we close in prayer, I want to pray for the baptism of fire to come upon our church and to burn away all the sin and to make things right. Fill us new and afresh with His Holy Spirit. Repent, therefore, that times of refreshing may come in the presence of Almighty God. Acts 3.19. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And on this day, our six-year anniversary legacy, we ask, Lord, that you would rip out that heart of stone and you would give us a heart of flesh that burns for you. Lord, we pray that you would burn away all of the sin in our lives and that you would Holy Spirit, empower us new and afresh to walk with you in life and that abundantly, hating what is evil, loving what is good, in full repentance, bearing good fruit all the days of our life. I pray this over our church. And Lord, everyone who's in their heart acknowledging, saying, God, give me this, please. Grant me this faith. Grant me this repentance. Grant me this fruit, real fruit in my life. I ask, Father, please, that you would be gracious to us and that you would give us genuine faith, and that we would never turn away to the right or the left, but we would seek you all the days of our life. I pray for a baptism of the heart, a cleansing of all that is sinful inside, and that we would bring forth the fruit of repentance, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faith, meekness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Oh God, I pray that you would be beaming as a beacon of light through Legacy City Church that our works would declare your glory. Our inside 
all that is going on in our heart would come forth in real action and deed and it would transform the culture around us. Oh God, would you do this work in us? We love you, King. Jesus, we thank you for how far you went for us. We thank you for taking our wrath, taking our sin, taking our punishment, our debt, filling our accounts with all of your righteousness, giving us perfection before God. We stand before him holy because of you. We are thankful. We commit ourselves to you now. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, family. Thank you for worshiping with us today in the study of God's word. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May the Lord be gracious unto you and give you peace. And I pray that we would go on living lives in full repentance to God all the days of our life, bearing fruit that brings him glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.